You are listening to Go Doc Yourself, your weekly documentary book club. Listen in while we two errands dissect our most recent documentary find. Sometimes weird, sometimes mainstream, but always entertaining. Grab a cup of coffee and let's clutch. Hi, and welcome to Go Doc Yourself. I'm Erin McCart. And I'm Erin McCart. And this week, as we bring you a new David Ferrier doc, so it's not brand new. I think it came out at the end of 2022, but it took a while to get to the streaming services. So we're going to talk about Mr. Oregon. This was done, like I said, 2022. It's an hour and 36 minutes long. It is now on Netflix. And David Ferrier was really the only cast member listed other than Mr. Oregon himself, which is interesting because they have other people in the documentary. They do. Again, kudos to the professionals that put this together because they showed me who people were in font that I could read. Sometimes mm-hmm. we get sometimes we get white font and a white background, and that doesn't work because I have old eyeballs. But this time it really worked nicely, and I was mm-hmm. uh, pleasantly surprised. So, And they put the names up each time the person came on, mostly. So I don't have to remember who these people are, and I appreciate that because, again, I'm old. I don't have a memory. And it's possible the budgets for these things are different, right? David Ferrier's kind of proven himself as a documentarian. He's an established journalist. He likes quirky stuff, which is how we ran across him in the first place because Tickled in the documentary world is pretty well established as being like weird and, according to my mom, very disturbing. Um, <laughs> it is. <laughs> when we it watched is. it, you know, together a couple of years ago at Christmas. Um, so, <laughs> and every year since. Right. But that's uh, what David Ferrier does. He he likes uh, quirky stuff. He did Dark Tourist, which we both enjoyed. That's obviously a bit of a travel show, which is not necessarily something I think we could cover the way we are currently covering things. Is a little bit of a cross between a travel show and a documentary series. So a little bit mm-hmm. tough for us, but it was macabre and I loved it. So it, it is very macabre. <laughs> And some of those places I wanted to visit. And now I'm like, well, that probably seems weird. So I love not. that Japanese forest. Like, it's got a really interesting rep, but it looks beautiful. So Right. And I think it's in Kyoto. Mm-hmm. And I've always wanted to go to Kyoto anyway. And so mm-hmm. that's just one place to visit. Maybe I just won't go in very far. I'll look at it from the outside and be like, that's pretty. And then move on. Maybe I'll just tie yeah. a rope around your waist and I'll, like, cast you in there like a lure. And then when you start mm-hmm. to get weird, I'll just pull you out that way you can experience it without fear i think i would still fear that the ghost would chew the rope ah, corporeal ghost that's stupid but i get you <laughs> corporeal maybe i don't know both of those corporal whatever mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah i did want to go to chernobyl um, declan and i both wanted to go to chernobyl and visit but with the current state of the world that <laughs> won't happen for a while so Maybe ever. We'll see. Right, right. Okay, back to the documentary at hand after we've been off on a tangent. David Ferrier comes across a situation in Auckland, New Zealand, which is where he lives close by. I don't know if he's definitely right in the midst of Auckland, but there is a business called Bashford Antiques. It's run by a lady named Jillian. Um, You get the feel that it's kind of like, I think they say it's the Rodeo Drive or like a Beverly Hills part of the state, state, the Mm -hmm. country, whatever. So it's a little bit ritzy. It seems to be in a downtown area. Uh, So they have parking that's associated with the business. And then after hours, people have the audacity to park there, even though there seems to be the world's tiniest no trespassing sign. And once you're in the parking lot and you leave your car, somebody comes out and puts a clamp on your wheel, which I assume is like a boot, like a, like a, I think so. Okay. Um, there was another circumstance where he just could block you in, but mm-hmm. basically then you're just extorted to give them money to be released. And that started to make the news. Yeah. And it's not like a couple bucks. Like there's recordings <laughs> of a woman saying, that they try to get the car, 
They said it was going to cost $400. She walks to the ATM, gets $400. By the time she comes back, she's like, I'm trying to give you money. And he's like, it's not $400. It's like $760. Like that was a huge increase in five minutes. Right. It's exorbitant is an understatement. Right. So that's how the story starts that David Ferrier finds them. It's kind of on his radar because he likes the weird stuff again. There is some footage of the person who is perpetrating this, right? And if you find out it's not illegal, it is legal to do this because this is a private parking lot. So he starts to write about it. That doesn't necessarily go very well because I think it's then covered in the news, like television news. Mm-hmm. And it kind of stirs the pot and that's how David Ferrier gets on the radar of Jillian and the guy that's perpetrating this, who ends up being a guy named Michael Organ. Right. And we should say that this scheme was so extreme that it actually went to Parliament. Like, they're like, we need to change the laws because this is not okay to do this. So it was it was pretty well documented in the news and government that this was going on. My question is, what if you just left your car there? Like you just walked off, (laughs) you know, and like came back in the morning or something. Like was the boot still on it? I'm guessing. And the fee's probably higher or they would just sell it. I don't know at what point they (laughs) claim it as their own property. Right. I mean, squatters rights at that point. Right. But these were hours long ordeals for the folks, which you demonstrated with the story of the, he was like, oh, stupid $400. So she cooperates. And then by the time she gets back, because maybe she was cooperative and wasn't argumentative, they've changed the price on her. So there's, yeah, it's just real shady. Yeah. You can tell that this cat gets off on (laughs) kind of tormenting people, right? I wouldn't say torturing, but he is definitely making sure he is the one in power in all of these situations. Mm Mm-hmm. It's gross. Right. It really is disturbing to watch it because there's such a weird power dynamic there. And not oftentimes do you come into that kind of a threat, like a physically threatening situation that's not Mm -hmm. violent. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So, yeah, yeah, the feels on this are really, it's really uncomfortable. So... There are hundreds of these incidents. This isn't just something that happened like four times. It's pretty gross. As David starts to write about it, investigate, there are escalations to threats for not only him, but other people speaking out. But he just seems to <laughs> be the focal point at some at some time, because maybe because he's well known or maybe because um, he just doesn't go away. I'm not really sure which one. He starts to get emails from somebody claiming to be Jillian, the owner's lawyer. Um, yeah. So just kind of, I don't know if it's necessarily cease and desist, but it just says threatening emails. So, and they're in legalese, right? There's not like, I'm going to come kill your dog or whatever. It's not like that. It's just kind of like, you know, a little less aggressive than that. Right. But it, it looks like someone downloaded a legal form and filled it out. Because it looks like it's the right format, but it's in all caps. And what lawyer writes in all caps? I mean, come on. Um, and then and then it's signed by MDA Oregon. And so, you know, when David tries to look up this lawyer, there is no lawyer by that name registered in New Zealand or wherever. I'm not sure how far he spread that net. I'm guessing New Zealand, but. Right, because we get the impression that Jillian's well-to-do. I don't know how well to do, but I mean, she could probably afford to have a lawyer on retainer to do whatever that is. Um, that would probably be a local lawyer for a local problem. That makes sense to me. Right. Right. But while he's digging into this, that's kind of when he gets the name Michael Oregon. And those are the initials on the legal letters in theory that are being sent to him. But he also recognizes him as someone who has been in the courts recently claiming to be a prince. 
like of royal descent. And if you're going to lie, make it a big one, I guess. Just go all in. Right. But you get the sense that this is like a person who really embraces the grandiose. Mm-hmm. Like that's a big claim. And I would think to with today's like DNA stuff, pretty easy to prove or disprove. But what else? Uh, David starts talking to former roommates of Michael's. The somewhat terrifying tales that are told from some of the people who live with them. Mostly that this guy is an absolute terror to live with. He is constantly making these people feel like their life is in danger, which is interesting to me because he, there are some stories where he physically hurt people. There was an argue over a receipt at one point in time. And this person that was telling the story was then hit in the head like three or four times by Michael, who then goes into the bathroom and scratches his face up. So when the police come, it looks like he was defending himself, which is pretty impressive. I wouldn't have even thought of something like that, but but there are other stories that are just like he made them his manservant. He had to do everything for him. He's very manipulative. And he seems to kind of get into people's lives. Like it's it's kind of like a cult, right? It starts fairly innocent and innocuous. And then once he's in, he just kind of clamps down and makes people go slightly crazy. Are the stories that are being told, really. A hundred percent. It reminded me of the roommate from hell series that we did about that one guy who, you know, comes in and it's all sunshine and butterflies and we're going to be besties. And then before you know it, you're completely sucked into the whirlwind and chaos that he creates. So -hmm. you really don't feel like you have any balance. You don't feel like you have any stability. And even just to hear some of the interviews that go on throughout this, I get the sense that he is, a good talker, but nothing of substance is ever set. It's so strange. So if you lived with that, I can imagine how unsettling that would be. Right. (laughs) He kind of reminded me of, do you watch what we do in the shadows? I've seen it. Mm -hmm. Okay. So one of the vampires is an energy vampire. And Ah. part of his Mm -hmm. shtick is just boring people to death. And as they just get, (laughs) I mean, he's like sucking the energy out of them. And that's kind of what this guy does without it being funny. It's, It's almost terrifying because he's driving people crazy by just going on. Like for hours, he will talk to people for hours and nothing is really said. But you still feel kind of trapped. Yeah. It's a skill. I'm telling you, that's a skill, man. Mm -mm. And they do a great job of demonstrating that um, through different interviews and interactions that David has with him and kind of the story of Jillian and how they came to be whatever relationship that they have. Mm -hmm. And, you know, to the point where I'm like, is somebody checking on her routinely? (laughs) I mean, she seems like a good mark for somebody like him because, again, you get the sense that she's... uh, got some wealth and mm-hmm. he, I don't know if he has an actual job other than terrifying the shit out of people and probably absorbing their resources because, you know, if you're defenseless and he lives mm-hmm. with you, I don't know. Yeah. One story was pretty interesting. So in the nineties, Michael owned a sex shop called taboo. He ran a sex shop. He stopped paying rent. The landlord changed the locks, as you do. And of course, Michael was pissed off. So he decides to steal the landlord's yacht. And he wouldn't have got away with it, too. But he he was thwarted by a thug, if you will. This cat cracked me the fuck up, Aaron. I'm sorry. It was so funny to listen to him. (laughs) Yeah, um... Boy, there are a lot of elements to discuss with the the dude named Jamie Lockett of New Zealand fame because he was accused of being like a terrorist. (laughs) Yeah. And they cross paths because, yeah, he has this wild story where 
the yacht was stolen and they roll up in a dinghy and he like jumps on board and puts the quash on David Organ. It's such, but it's all, it's all illustrated by all the different karate moves that he uses on him. (laughs) You're just like, I mean, he's so close to saying, you know, my hands are registered weapons. It's, so, it was there. Oh. It was there. I think it might have been edited out because he had to have said it, right? <laughs> right. It was just so funny because he was just, he's a character. Like he is, he thinks he is the most amazing person in the world. And he's going to tell you that every time. His. So yeah, he jumps on the ship. He's stealthy as fuck. No one hears him. He's got ninja skills. He goes down into whatever below and he surprises Mr. Oregon. And then he grabs him by the hair so tight that he becomes like a zombie. Like he can't move. He can't function. That's just a, it's a real special hold that I've never seen in any karate movie ever, but it's there. I just missed it. Apparently. Furthermore, he's telling us all this. Wow being off the grid in some like super sketch rundown house duplex, something like this sitting in like a busted ass lawn chair. So it really belies the message of he's the titties, right? So strange. Right. Also, if you're that off the grid, how did David Ferrier find you? I mean, he's an investigative (laughs) journalist. I appreciate that, but still it seems like, and then you're on camera. So you can't be that concerned about people getting a hold of you. Just a thought. I don't, you know, I really don't have an answer for that. It's a great point. Um, he didn't seem too plussed about being found. Right. It was almost like a, oh, my fans are here. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. Uh, also, he said he committed no crime. You know, he manhandled someone, but they, he had to. What were they no, wearing? No Nothing appropriate. Right. And the police came, took Michael away. He was sentenced to three years. But let me tell you, Aaron, if he had represented himself, that wouldn't have fucking happened. That wouldn't have happened. Yeah. I believe that's self-proclaimed the only court case that he ever lost. And we know that he played it cool and calm in the courtroom. So that's where the allegations of his uh, nobility came to the surface. Like, do you know who I am? <laughs> Anyone who ever says that is no one of worth. In my opinion, you, you, if you have to convince someone else of who you are, no one cares. Yeah. It's just it, the way it is. If you, if you find yourself saying that, maybe, maybe check into like a treatment center. Like just maybe call up that life coach. I don't know. It's just never a good luck. It's it doesn't ever go well. No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. It's never going to end how you think it should end when you say that. So, once he gets out, he declares bankruptcy and almost immediately meets Jillian. Right? The timing is right there. Now, let's say that a lot of people that David talked to did not want to be like reference their names. They didn't want any part of that. A lot of Jillian's friends didn't want their names out there because they're afraid of Michael and retribution or retaliation or what other R word do you want to use that he might get back at them. But Jillian's son does talk about it a little bit. And he said that, you know, he just was there one day, like he went to his mom's shop and there's this cat eating lunch in an antique shop why would you like he was going there to eat lunch every day in an antique shop and that just seems sketch to begin with right yeah i don't know why you want mustard all over antiques but whatevs thank you Mm -hmm. that's what i was thinking like you Mm -hmm. shouldn't be allowed to have food or drink in an antique shop it should be just a rule right it's sippy cups only for everyone Mm. but we find out that he's done an excellent job of kind of Isolating Jillian from different friends, from family. This is the same story that you hear over and over and over again. He ingratiates himself. He infiltrates somebody's life and then 
he's there and it's very difficult to get rid of him. However, I think her son's name is Israel. He is able to get Michael away from his mom. It seems like on two occasions, but it was not to last um, because he just shows up again. Now on Jillian's part, from my understanding, she just thinks he's the cat's pajamas. She calls him a genius at, at different times. And to some degree, if he had this next to legal um, or next to illegal scam going on in her parking lot, that probably was an attractive thing about their friendship. You know, she's buying him lunch. He's getting her $760 multiple times a night. I don't know if that's the case, but there was some uh, benefit to both of them hanging out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think he's probably benefiting a lot more than she is. I agree, but I, you know, how any kind of all these relationships start off with the love bomb thing. And we don't know that they were romantically involved, but they do live together. So it's sort of like, mm -hmm. but yeah, there's, there's that initial like, oh, this is a really good deal for me. And then it slowly, slowly, slowly becomes less of a good deal for you. So. Right. Mm -hmm. With all the hubbub over the parking and stuff going on, people are becoming less inclined to go to the store in general just out of fear of what would happen, I think, even during office hours. So the store ends up shutting down. And Jillian and Michael move to some other smaller town a couple hours away. David goes by, sees the signs that are left next to the rubbish bin, and decides to take them, kind of as a souvenir. They were trash. No harm, no foul. Right? Yeah, he regrets that because... Michael or Jillian or somebody representing them. I'm not really sure which. I think later we find out, obviously, that it was Michael. But how the genesis of this goes, I'm not clear. There is a charge against him for stealing those signs. And I think David's like, oh, okay, cool. Well, I didn't realize this was a problem. I'll just give them back. But they disappear from his residence. Like they're kind of tucked away under a porch or something. And they're gone, which thwarts his ability to kind of sidestep this legal problem. So they end up going to court. It sounds like David gets completely smashed by Michael Oregon in court because he's, you know, seems to be arguing this stuff himself, which is horribly impressive, according to David. And David ends up having to pay him like three grand for trash signs. Right. They weren't trash. They were precious and priceless, Aaron. But they were next to the rubbish bin, which I'm really surprised that whatever Judge Judy situation that was, was swayed by, you know. Yeah, I think it comes down to Michael talked for hours, apparently. He's, <laughs> he's quite the filibuster, right? And I think he just wears people down to like, fine, what do you want? Just We just want right. to go home. Yeah, right? go away. Mm -hmm. And also because David couldn't give the signs back. Mm -hmm. How convenient for... Michael side that, oh, those signs weren't there anymore. I couldn't just give them back. So, right. Mm. Obviously now they've had a little bit more close interaction. So David decides, let's talk directly. I'd like to talk to him directly, you know, kind of talk to Jillian. And I do think he does a really good job of going right to the source in a lot of the things that he wants to talk to the people that are involved. Um, he's not just satisfied with hearsay. And they start this very strange relationship, both on camera, right? Because they have interviews and it's a lot of on the street stuff and over the phone. Yeah, because Michael has his number thanks to the court case and he calls him a lot and he talks a lot. And I feel like he's just rehashing the same stuff over and over. Like sometimes he'll call and he'll be like, you know, we totally killed you in court. You stole the signs. You know, they were important. Like he's just drilling in points that are already past. We've moved on, man. We're past that. He would talk about the yacht that he didn't steal. Someone else must have stole it. What I find really interesting is everything is, well, someone told me this or someone gave me this. You probably know who it is. I'll, I'm not going to disclose that right now. I'll disclose that later, but you probably know who it is. He never gives any names or any real descriptions of people who are 
doing him dirty, doing David dirty, but he has all these grand stories of these Mm -hmm. other people who are doing these horrible things. Right. So it's never him. Yeah. Like he's a puppeteer and he's Mm -hmm. pulling the strings of different things. And he very much likes to leave you wanting more. For example, Michael starts telling David that he has a key to his house and it was given to him by somebody close to David. But my favorite one, he's he's like, you might have an inkling who it is, which would then cause me to rack my brain forever to try to figure out who in my inner circle or who would I have given a key to that then would give a key to somebody else. And he starts in on David about, well, you've probably made some enemies and the people that are around you know that you're not really a good person. And, Mm -hmm. you know, all of these subtle things that are meant to wear away your stability, your security of the people that are in your life. So that was very scary. And I'm like, oh, because if you don't catch that stuff on camera or somebody doesn't hear it, how do you prove it? How do you explain it? The level of gaslighting and manipulation that are going on, it is really um, quite scary. It is. And I think that's something that David talked about too. He's like, it's hard to explain Cause it doesn't seem like a threatening situation if you're just telling someone about it. But when you're in it, you feel stuck and you feel like every, he said, every time you talk to him, it's you, you're giving a piece of your soul, right? He's just like sucking your soul out and, and it takes a toll over time and it just wears people down and drives them crazy. But it's hard to explain to someone cause it seems not, it doesn't seem harmful if you try to explain it to someone. Did you see the part where obviously in a documentary, there's a lot of footage. So there's one point where sometimes Michael wants to be on camera. Sometimes he doesn't. So sometimes you're Mm -hmm. in the residence viewing what's going on. And sometimes there's just audio. Um, In one Mm -hmm. instance, they're in the house coming out. Michael comes out first. He makes like a weird, uh, move that makes it look like David goosed him. You know what I'm Mm -hmm. talking about? Like he's just being playful. Yeah. But it sets the, again, a tone to me that was like sort of a fishing expedition to see if he could make David mad. And Mm -hmm. David Ferrier looks like the nicest human being. I don't know if he's ever like outwardly been mad. Like he might be mad on the inside, but it just does, it does not come through. He's a cool cucumber. So to me, that was like trying to get a rise out of him but David doesn't go for it and nothing really materializes from that. But I'm like, that looked like he was going for something. But I mean, from the camera angle, you cannot tell that it didn't happen. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. It was completely intentional. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you never know what version of Michael you're going to get. You can get a really shitty version where he's accusing you of everything and you're a liar and you're a horrible person. And you're going to burn in hell. Or he's a playful person, or he's just a nice, like he's your best friend. It's really, I don't know how you prepare to talk to someone like that when you have no idea what kind of person you're going to get. And this investigation, Cody Fingers, went on over like five years from start to end. So these conversations were happening with David for a couple years. And mind Mm -hmm. you, the key that I talked about earlier, he got back. Um, Michael gave it to David, like, again, sort of like, I'm doing you a solid because somebody in your inner mm-hmm. circle, like, was cavalier with this key, but I'm going to give it to you because, you know, to try to establish that trust, but you can see right through it. Mm-hmm. It is a fucking key to his house. We never find out how he actually got it. Right. It is. It does work in the door. It is creepy. I'd have to move but right then, then. I'd be like, Jesus yeah. Christ, I'm going to wake up with this dude standing over me. Right. And that's kind of what David fears. Like, he's going to be there the whole time. Yeah. I mean, clearly he's been to his house because he got the signs. Mm-hmm. And he got the key somehow. I, mm-hmm. I'd be more inclined to say he got a locksmith to give it to him or something of the like versus some friend actually gave the key. Yeah, I don't believe that either. I don't know if maybe... If you're going to say that he came and he stole the signs, which I think is fairly accurate he was observing you know maybe there was a spare key somewhere that's my guess that it was a spare key situation but i would think david would check that out i don't know but yeah how how disquieting to think like somebody that's been established as 
unhinged in some cases has access to you. Ugh. Yeah. Yeah. And so even creepy. though he gave the key back, which was a power move on his part to try to show <laughs> control and dominance, right? Yeah. Who's to say he didn't make a copy? I, I would change my locks. I would deadbolt everything. I would. I'd get a monitor lizard or something to manage the house. I don't know. Something. <laughs> There's a moat. No one knows. Yeah. <laughs> it's terrifying. Yes. I mean, this guy has nothing but time, right? Mm-hmm. Nothing but time. He's not working. Jillian shut the store down. And although the store is shut down, Michael is named like the director of Bashford Antiques, which is interesting since there is no more Bashford Antiques. Mm-hmm. So he might be pulling a paycheck for doing absolutely nothing. Mm-hmm. but they're not working. Neither one of them are working and they live in a somewhat hoarder situation when you see their house. So they're not yeah. cleaning. And there is some discussion on part of the motivation for the clamping was so he could basically trap people and just psychologically torture them until he deemed it over mm-hmm. with. So yeah. yeah, because there's discussion on the, they don't show a ton of that footage, but it's discussed that he enjoyed it and you could tell, <laughs> which I'm like, ew, mm-hmm. ew, okay. Yeah, everything about him is gross. Yeah, it's it's hard to kind of think of a lot of the implications for the things that we're hearing about different roommates and, you know, the people that have been around him and lives have been ruined to several different degrees. David goes and tries to Again, contact a lot of people in the background to understand why he is the way he is. He Mm -hmm. has a couple different brothers. One is Dean Oregon, who actually is a lawyer who Mm -hmm. David contacted and kind of got a phone rebuff, but not a phone rebuff like, yeah, I am a lawyer, but this is not me who you are seeking, right? Also talks to the dad, Albert, and doesn't really get any kind of cooperation there. Basically, they're like... Well, your reputation speaks for your, you know, speaks for itself and you're like a terrible person. And I'm like, so they've been coached or, you know, kind of, I don't know. That's just been established that David Ferrier is a terrible person. <laughs> yeah. I find it interesting that Dean, the brother, when David goes to his door, he's very rude. He's not like, yeah, you know, that's my brother or anything like that. He's just like, we want nothing to do with you. We know your reputation. You're a horrible person. You suck donkey balls. So it was, he was behaving very similarly to Michael. He was just had more legal backing, I guess, since he's an actual lawyer. They do actually talk to somebody at Jonathan Oregon's house. This is another brother. And we don't really get a name of this person, but it appears to be a lady. And her vibe is a little bit different. It's more, please don't bring me into this. I I really don't want to provoke him at all. He's a terrible human being. <laughs> like, I just want to, you know, kind of sidestep this and, and go about my business. I'm not comfortable having these conversations with you. And David doesn't push, not in any of these situations, really. Like, he's, he's still pushing and, and asking, but it's always polite. It's never... Mm-hmm. Beyond that. Yeah. I think one of my favorite interactions is, so there are a couple things that happen. David calls Michael. Michael's in the middle of some meeting and won't be done until two. And so David is like, I'm going to go see if Jillian is home and talk to her by herself because we're all concerned about Jillian here. And we want to know that she's okay because anytime she talks, Michael's there. And I'm not sure if she's looking at him before he answers, but it seems like, these, these are uh, statements that have been fed to her maybe at some point in time. Although he, Michael is very much like, oh, don't call me a genius. <laughs> anyway, but no one answers. So he goes to Jillian's house. No one answers. So he leaves. From that, Michael decides to give him, serve him with trespassing papers. So he's been, I don't know if it's charged necessarily with trespassing. It's more of a, hey, you're not allowed on our property like any of our properties, period, is what it right. looks like to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's the impression I also got. He seems there on the street. David is sitting down at a table outside drinking a cup of coffee or something. And Michael and Jillian walk up. And Michael is relatively aggressive. Like, you come to our house. You do this. And he's like, whoa, whoa, I came. I knocked on the door. No one answered. I left. 
right? But it seems like this is a point where David, this has been going on for years now, and David is just kind of fed up. He's like, you know, you say you don't do anything. You, you obviously were charging this money for the boots because we have you on tape for it. You you stole a yacht. It's cut and dry. You stole the yacht. And Michael's standing there like, no, I didn't. No, I didn't. I didn't do this. I didn't do that. Mm -hmm. And David's like, everything that comes out of your mouth is a lie. It's mm -hmm. amazing. Well, it's funny, too, because David's like, you've called me a liar. And he's like, mm -hmm. Michael's like, no, I just said that you misrepresented the truth and left things out. And I'm like, is it if I looked up the definition of lie? Like, it's <laughs> absolutely what you would say. But he just cannot take any of that. He'll dish it out all day long. It's like classic, mm -hmm. classic narcissist or whatnot. But anything he tries to slip out of, and it's never him, it's always somebody else that is never named. So I'm like, it's convenient. And after they've been arguing for a minute, and it's not like heated or anything, but they're going back and forth. David goes, hey, before we part ways, why don't you just sit down? We'll relax. We'll have a cup of coffee. We'll just talk. And it worked. He did. He sat down. They had a cup of coffee. And I'm like, to be able to, to keep your calm in a situation like that, where you just probably want to spit on someone and walk away, I'm amazed. I'm, I mean, I wanted to spit on him and I am nowhere near this person. So I'm just amazed at how calm he could be. Right. It's admirable. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because the attacks are really personal, especially when Michael's like, you're crossing boundaries. And I was like, that's a bold statement, you know, but again, it all oh, it comes back to that gaslighting and all of the manipulation. And that has all worked for him really well, his whole entire life. Yeah. So and he's gotten away with it. Yes. For the most part. Yes. David does ask him about someone named Brent Lewis to which Michael said, Oh, well, that was a, he was a great friend of ours. Great friend. But if you talk to Brent Lewis's friends, that's not the case. This was someone who owned a bookstore and I guess had like a poetry night, art night, had some people that would come in and they would just have these evenings together and whatnot. And that's how he met Michael. At one point in time, he was gifted, Brent was gifted a model yacht that was put in a window as a display for the store. To which Michael decided to charge him with stealing that from him. So Brent was charged with stealing the model yacht from Michael. Which wasn't the case. I think we can see a clear history of deceit from Mr. Oregon. So we can probably fairly clearly say that was not the case. But he proceeded to essentially terrorize this poor guy. And to the extent that he was on medication to try to deal with the stress and anxiety. And eventually he couldn't take it anymore. And he took his own life. And I love the fact that at the funeral, his friends were not shy about bringing up the fact that that's what happened, that someone pushed him to this limit. Now they did not name him. They didn't name Michael, but everyone knew who they were talking about. Right. It's a bit of a Voldemort situa situation, right? Like he who shall not be named. Mm-hmm. Which I'm sure that they had learned by now that they had to be very careful to not mm -hmm. name him. But also, again, the the way they worked around it so they could express themselves was clever. Yeah. And he takes zero responsibility for any of it. Said he never did it, never did any of that, I'm sure. Which is funny because if it started with the model boat, a model yacht, which is ironic, right? Mm-hmm. Is there... I guess you wouldn't be able to tell who that yacht came from. I mean, in my mind, I'm like, oh, yeah, I have proof. But I'm, you know, I think obviously those are the kinds of things that went out the window first. Well, one thing that Michael does say, which is counterintuitive to anything in science, is you don't have to prove you're right. Mm. I just have to prove you're not right. And in science, if you make a claim, the burden of proof is on you. Not for me to disprove you. The burden of proof is on you to prove that this happened. So I get that in a court of law, 
you're just trying to prove your side, regardless of which side you're on. You're just trying to prove your side. And whoever mm-hmm. has more evidence or a better argument wins. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. But that was just a very counterintuitive statement to me. Mm-hmm. There is a little bit of resolution in this at the end. We end up in King's Seat at some old psychiatric hospital. It's the kind of place you would think about in Halloween times, right? So it's got a crappy reputation as abusing patients and, you know, lots of macabre things going on there. And it ended up being shut down by the state um, in the late 90s. However, it has been available for people to use that um, as like apartments and stuff like that. So it's low rent. I get the feeling that there's not, it's not a upscale place, but I don't know. There seems to be some, it's not like squatters. It's somewhere in, in, in the middle there. So it's at least recognized as an apartment complex or something like that. And David ends up meeting a guy named Peter Van May Garden, which is a very long name, but I was really glad that he provided it. And Peter had been a tenant at least maybe somewhat of a caretaker. I was not clear on exactly what his role, but he, he knew Michael because Michael had lived there in recent memory before he shacked up with Jillian. Right. And it sounded like it was possible that he might've lived there a little bit while he was with Jillian. So it doesn't sound like he always lived Mm -hmm. with Jillian. Sometimes he might've been away and this might've been where he stayed for some of the time. Cause it seemed like it was just a few months out that he had been there. Um, but yeah, from Peter, Michael was just a terror. Like he spent more time in other people's space. He, he described Michael as a parasite, which I thought was a really good description. Like he just feeds off of you and feeds off of you. And, and like I said before, just kind of pushing people to their very edge. Mm -hmm. Using you up along the way. Right. So this is definitely, he's getting what he can out of you. It's not, I mean, obviously it's for his enjoyment, but also with the no job, I, I really think that there's an economic thing going on there as well. They mm-hmm. don't really discuss it, which is fine. That's okay. Mm-hmm. But yeah, he, Michael had some responsibility for getting renters in the door is the way Peter talked about it. So he's potentially got an avenue of hand selecting the people that he's going to be later victimizing, which I thought was interesting. Mm-hmm. And then he just had a pattern of moving through people and just targeting the hell out of them and it's terrifying so right and then peter did discuss that michael had talked about david had talked about the situation the documentary that was being made that he had the key to david's house that he had been there so you know he was open about all of that yeah and it seemed like pretty proud of it like on one hand he seemed really happy about the documentary being made about him. But on the other hand, I think he was very upset because he didn't have control over what went into it. Right. Right. And again, that two-sidedness that you discussed before, like which Michael would show up kind of reinforces that in my opinion. Yeah. So that's kind of where the documentary ends. Um, You said there was some closure in my opinion. There's no closure. Okay. David. I mean, I think there was closure for David, right? He understood Michael a little bit better. He understood to a certain extent that every time Michael said, well, this person did something, I'm not going to tell you who, that he was talking about himself, right? Every time he's talking about himself. Did, was it worth it? That's a good question. I would like to ask David Ferrier, was it worth it? The psychological damage you might've <laughs> given yourself over the last five years to produce mm-hmm. this documentary. I think it would have been cool if they talked to a psychiatrist And is this a situation where he really like has a second that, I mean, he is choosing to live in a reality where he doesn't attribute all of his actions to himself. There is a separate personality Mm -hmm. almost that does this stuff. That's why he says it in a way that's like somebody else did that. Somebody else did that. I don't know if it's like a diagnosis situation, but when you listen kind of with that ear, it seems pretty clear that, that might be what's going on there. It's, it's some dissociation. Yeah. 
Yeah. And to wonder if you had ever come across somebody like that in your life. I mean, I've been around some manipulative people, but that's a lot different. (laughs) It is. I think, thankfully, you would have to be around someone for a fair amount of time Mm -hmm. for it to affect you and for them to tease that out, right? Mm -hmm. If you just meet someone and you only meet them a couple times or you don't see them very often, you're probably just going to see that one side of them that they want you to see that Mm -hmm. doesn't delve into the dark side yet. Mm -hmm. So, I don't know. I don't know. I... You would like to think that you could avoid people like that. Like you could spot it and catch them. But I think we've learned over the years and doing documentaries and just in life in general that these people are really good at hiding and really good at at getting Mm -hmm. into people's lives. And then by the time you realize it, it's too late. And these are mostly intimate relationships, as in close to you intimate relationships, not like romantic Mm -hmm. necessarily, Mm -hmm. which I think as women, we hear a lot about like love bombing and manipulation and like stealing money and stuff like that as a thing that you would do like tinder swindler right like in a in a romantic sense but there are those that they have access to you because you live together in roommate situation um and you know that's that's always different to me like oh yeah there are different ways that people can get to you so yeah it's just it's scary to think about it or to think about scary. something to happen at, like if you saw it to like happening to one of your friends, like that would be tough too. Or, you know, somebody it in is. your family. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about that real quick before okay. we finish up. David talked to a lot of Jillian's friends and anytime he asked them about, did you try to get her away from them? What have you done to try to remove him from the situation? And a lot of them tried at first, but as it became a more serious relationship, and he became more volatile or scarier or whatever, it became a dangerous situation for themselves. Mm-hmm. So they had to, I mean, it's self-preservation then, right? Yeah. I mean, you want to help your friend, but if they're not willing to help themselves, are you going to put yourself in danger? Mm-hmm. Um, I would let you know right now, Aaron, I would drag you all by your goddamn hair. That's what I'm saying. Like, <laughs> again, from my perspective as a person who's a little bit older, you know what I mean? Like there have been people in my life for a very long time that I do believe have my best interest at heart. I hope that that would wake me up to a situation that was bad. Also, again, lived experience. I hope at this point in my life, I understand what a healthy relationship is and what a healthy relationship is not. So mm-hmm. again, I, I, in my heart, I want to think that I would be rescuable at the very least. <laughs> I agree. It would be terrifying. And I too think I would really go all in to try to get somebody away from that. Yeah. I think it's hard if you don't have a relationship where you're talking to someone regularly, right? So if by the time you find out, they're already so far into it that it's hard to get them out. And just every situation is different. I don't want to blame people for for doing something that they, they didn't feel safe doing, right? I understand that. So... Yeah, it's a tough situation. And every single person that he talked to about Michael Organ was like, dude, be careful. He is scary. He's sketchy. Just be careful. Right. Okay. So it was really engaging. I found that I really had a hard time stopping. I just wanted to see what happened next. Mm -hmm. So it was good in that regard. It is difficult because it kind of opened my eyes to ew, there's a lot of ick out there. <laughs> I don't mm-hmm. want to deal with a lot of that. So very good. Yeah. And you, you see that someone can get away with doing all these horrible things and nothing happens. Right. So at the end, they're like, they put the blurbs up, right? Michael still lives with Jillian. He mm-hmm. continues to be the director of Ashford Antiques. He's threatened legal action against the filmmakers. Of course he did. He maintains that someone else is responsible for all the events depicted in this film. So there's, Nothing's going to happen to him unless he gets caught doing something horrible and he seems pretty good about skirting that law. So, but even then we won't get the sense that he takes responsibility for it. So someone else did that, you Mm -hmm. know, it's on video. Your, your voices, you know, (laughs) we have definitive proof, but he will Mm -hmm. never admit it. And I think that's difficult. Right. Yeah. So did you have an honorary Aaron for this week? 
I do, and I have a name, but I'm going to pick the cameraman oh, or okay. woman because they had to sit there and hold that camera <laughs> steady and not say anything while this cat just spewed the most ridiculous fucking nonsense. I mean, how hard? How I would have just put it down and been like, no, and walked away. I can't. I can't. I quit. I mean, you wouldn't do that, but I feel like... Errands, we have patience for the most part. We're behind the scenes. We're helping people doing their thing. So that's the Aaron energy he brought. I like that. I guess I'm going to go with Israel, the son. Mm -hmm. I like that he was willing to speak out about it. We talk a lot Mm -hmm. in a lot of these videos about people are inhibited because they're afraid. And this guy was like, fuck you. I'm going to go out and talk about it. And I hope I'd have the chutzpah to do that, right? So, Right. And try to protect his mom. Good for him. Yeah, absolutely. And he was somewhat successful if he was able to extract her from time to time. So I like to think there's hope. Yeah, it's kind of like quitting drinking or smoking, right? You rarely quit the first time. You'll go back in and you'll try again and try again and try again. And there's always another first day, but eventually that first day leads to a second day and a third day and it sticks. Right. So hopefully he can get her out and it will stick. So good choice. That was exciting. We've been waiting for that documentary (laughs) to come onto streaming for a while. So I was excited when I finally saw it. And it doesn't disappoint, right? It is just the kind of head scratcher that I've come to to anticipate from David Ferrier and crew. (laughs) Right. So Right. So thank you, David, for bringing Mm -hmm. this gem to us. Right. We appreciate it. Mm -hmm. Okay. What are we going to do next week? Okay. We're going to do a documentary. Obviously, that was a weird way to say it, but nonetheless. (laughs) This week, a documentary, you said. (laughs) Right. That was dumb. Okay. (laughs) The name of it is John Was Trying to Contact Aliens. I'm in. I'm hooked. I want to know so much about this. It's a 2020 release. It is on Netflix. We confirmed that. And it's 16 minutes long as we were ready for a little bit of a change up. Yeah. I think we'll have to start doing more shorts. I really like them. They're they're Mm -hmm. quick to the point. They're weird and quirky a lot of times, which is our jam. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So we'll have to sprinkle those in a lot more. I think so too. Sometimes it's difficult to find the other criteria that we're looking for. As far mm-hmm. as is it available, that's a that's a big one that we find with some of the things that we're we're trying to find. Mm-hmm. You know, we we can only pay so many monthly fees for things. <laughs> we're gonna be like, <laughs> no. So yeah, it's um, yeah. oftentimes very difficult to find some of these. But I love the fact that they're shining lights on different things, not always positive things, sometimes positive. Mm-hmm. But yeah, there's a lot of people who have a social conscience and are bringing stuff out, and I dig that. So. Mm-hmm. I'm here for it. Mm-hmm. All right, guys. With that, I hope you have a lovely week. I hope you stay warm because it's balls cold outside <laughs> and horrible here. So have a good week. Make good choices. We'll talk to you next week. Later. Bye. Bye. Bye.